I3, I5, I7, and I9. You've probably seen these as you looked for computers. I asked my Intel rep when that first started, like, does that correspond to something technical? Is there something in the design architecturally? He said, no, it's just marketing. We just stack the numbers. So as the number goes up, the processing power increases. So that makes it easier for us to think about. If you're a natural-born marketer, you're one lucky son of a gun. If you're like most people, marketing, especially online marketing, is about as appealing as standing in a police lineup. The May Create team of creatives has transformed websites and digital marketing from craptastic to fantastic since 2005. Our podcast, Marketing with Purpose, makes sense of marketing so you can make purposeful decisions instead of carrying on with the same old crap you've been doing. And now your host, Monica Pitts, founder of May Create, with another episode on how to make your marketing not suck. Hello again, and welcome back to Marketing with Purpose. My name is Monica Pitts, and today I have an awesome guest with me. I have Jamie Cody with Personalized Computers. So I invited Jamie on the podcast today because I got an email from one of our listeners and she was getting ready to buy a new computer to start her blog and to build her website. And she wanted me to like tell her what type of computer to buy. And I thought, I am so unqualified for this, right? But I do have somebody who's really qualified who builds my computers for me. And I thought he'd be the perfect guest to bring here and educate all of us all about computers. So Jamie, why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your business? Great. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. Uh, as you say, Jamie Cody, Personalized Computers, we, uh, we opened our doors in downtown Columbia 25 years ago in 1998. We started as a, uh, a computer manufacturer and retail repair uh, operation. And since that time have, have really transitioned mostly away from the retail and consumer side of business. And we're more of a managed services provider and focus more on the business to business relationships. Um, that, that being said, we still have doors open to the public. We have still a, a, a pretty good core of, of uh, uh, the, the word I'm looking for, I guess would be um, uh, it's, it's eluding me right now. But people who, uh, uh, no, no, it'll come to me in a second, but it's okay. Uh, just a, a good core of people who have just been coming to us for years and years. And uh, and so they continue to seek us out and find us even for uh, walk-in repairs, uh, LCD screen repairs, virus removal, uh, those, those types of things. But, you know, the questions, the things that we're going to delve into today, Monica, are, are general questions that our business clients ask as well. Um, what's the right tool for what I'm looking to do, whether it's a laptop or a desktop, and then the specifications. Additionally, I feel these questions from friends a lot of times too, and family members like, hey, I'm, all, I'm on Amazon, what am I looking for? And so pretty commonly, I'll just give them the list of things that I would prioritize. But um, you know, there's no one, one solution for everyone because everyone has different needs depending on what they're doing with their technology tool, right? Yeah, I know that we have multiple levels of computers from laptops to tablets to really, really robust gaming computers that we use for stuff like video editing to simpler desktop things in our office. And that's just our office. So right. I can only imagine how many more options there are out there for people to choose from. 
which is probably why it can feel so overwhelming if you <laughs> are not educated like yourself about the different parts of a computer and what they do. So what if we start there? Because um, like when I look at a computer listing, I don't know what the different parts of a computer are, to be quite frank. Like I don't know the difference between the RAM and the SSD or any of that stuff. So can you tell me, so what, what, what the heck is that? Like what's RAM? What does that mean? Sure. <laughs> well, let's, let's go through all the, the parts and I'll give you a really brief explanation of each, right? I'd, okay. I'd probably start at the CPU, okay. the central processing unit, mm -hmm. the, the two dominant manufacturers. There are a few others that, that make chips, but overwhelmingly you're going to see computers that either have an Intel processor or an AMD processor. We have standardized for business purposes on the Intel platform, being a little more familiar with um, the business applications for compatibility, reliability, and all those things. So I, I will, I'll probably focus more on the Intel side of that because that's what we recommend. Uh, AMD is a great product, great for gaming enthusiasts and, and uh, others that are looking for performance. But I, I usually tend to focus on the Intel side of the CPU world. Uh, the CPU is a central processing unit. So C CPU is a TLA. We have a lot of TLAs in our industry. TLA, TLA if you didn't know, is a three-letter acronym for three-letter acronym. <laughs> and we have we have a lot of those. <laughs> when I first heard that, I thought that was pretty entertaining. That, that they have a three-letter acronym for three-letter acronyms. Uh, so CPU being one of those TLAs stands for Central Processing Unit. It's uh, it's it's kind of the brains of, of the whole computer, right? It's... Uh, we, we've seen this transition starting really about 10 years ago, if my memory serves correctly, maybe even before that, from a CPU that had a high clock speed, right? So the first thing that changed was clock speed, the ability for that processor to process data and information faster, okay? So you'd see clock speeds going from 150 you know, megahertz up to uh, you know, 300 to 350 to 400, and then we had gigahertz, and then things went crazy from there. And uh, then, then what we saw is uh, CPUs at, at that time, technology had kind of maxed out on how fast a processor could process information without overheating, you know, it became a, an issue of heat and power and all those things. And so what manufacturers did at that point, and this is relevant, I'm getting into history, but... <laughs> To help understand what, what they started doing is parallel computing. So instead of a single processor, they'd start making processors with multiple cores, right? Each core with the ability to process information independently on a computer. So if you have a computer that has two cores or four cores, it's going to be great at, um, you know, handling basic business applications. Uh, one of them, one of the cores may be active to run like your antivirus software, right? It's processing what's going on there in the background, but different cores can handle different things. Um, additionally, I'm gonna get a little nerdy here, but some processors, in addition to having multiple cores, can be multi-threaded. That's a, a technology years ago that Intel came out with called hyper-threading. And that's the ability for a core to handle more than one thread of information at a time, so simultaneously. So what you started to see is instead of CPUs that were clocked really fast, you'd see a, a CPU with multiple cores at a lower clock speed, but that could handle a lot more traffic at once, thus uh, eliminating bottlenecks on bandwidth, right? It could just do more with, uh, with what it had, even at slower clock speeds. 
So that transition started probably 10 to 15 years ago in that, in that range. We started seeing multi-core processors. Now you can see a, a processor on the market that has like 16 cores, like 10 to 16 cores. And that's, uh, that, that's pretty powerful. That'll do a lot of things, right? Yeah. So, so that's multi-core. Uh, clock speed still plays uh, into it, but being less nerdy, right? Like if I'm talking to somebody who doesn't want to understand how a processor works, um, if we'll just stick with each component, right? Um, the recommendations that I usually make, Intel's made the naming pretty easy from a marketing standpoint. They started over a decade ago with the, the core line of processors, i3, i5, i7, and i9. You've probably seen these as you looked for computers. I was just going to ask you, what do those numbers even mean? Like, because I yeah. don't get it. I asked my Intel rep when that first started, like, does that correspond to something technical? Is there something in the design architecturally? He said, no, it's just marketing. We just, we just kind of stacked the numbers. So as the number goes up, the processing power increases. So that makes it easier for us to think about, right? So an i3 is a, a good CPU that we use for a lot of entry-level business uh, computing needs. Uh, com computers that are used uh, in, in an office for email and word processing and internet browsing an i3 would be an adequate solution. Uh, they have anywhere from two to four cores. Um, rarely does it have multi-threading uh, enabled, but it's a good basic CPU that's going to do a lot of a lot of office-related or home-related tasks, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, then the next step up is the i5. The i5 is probably the the CPU that I recommend most commonly. Um, I like the additional cores, the additional architecture more bandwidth, higher clock speeds. The difference in cost of a computer system between an i3 and an i5 on average is about $100. Okay, well, so, it seems yeah, like so you would go with the i5 then. If you, if you consider all the same specifications mm -hmm. and just spend an extra $100 by increasing the processor, you may not see hardly any difference at the onset. Uh, an i3 and an i5 will do all the basic things the same way. What we find, though, is the longevity of the computer system. The i5s remain a, a relevant uh, computer system three and four and even five years down the road, where those i3s will, will antiquate themselves a little more quickly as everything else around them increases in speed requirements, right? Yeah. All the updates to your browser, and now you're running a new version of Adobe, and, and you've added a, a different antivirus solution that has higher requirements. So three years down the, uh, the, the line, it might tap out the, the capabilities of an i3 a little more quickly than an i5. So I mm -hmm. think that's a good value play. So the next step is the i7. And then after that is the i9. The i9 is really just for specialized markets where you're running applications that take advantage of all the extra cores. Those are the, the big dogs that have lots and lots of cores and high clock speeds. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking somebody that's making movies, somebody that's rendering 3D images, a gaming enthusiast with lots of money to spend on, on that activity, right? They're the most expensive CPU and they do the most. So the i7 is really another really common one. So if you fall in that middle ground of somebody who's running applications that, that uh, need a lot of horsepower, uh, then, then the i7 is a good fit for you typically. And, and it just depends on what you're running and how quickly you need things to, to uh, respond to decide between the i7 and the i9 and which one makes more uh, sense from a, a financial standpoint, right? One of the things that's nice about the i7, it's the, the first Intel CPU in that line that has a, a feature called Turbo Boost. And what that will do is it will take, if you have an application that's really chewing up a lot of, of processing power, then the i7 will allocate 
more power to that one core, right? So if you have like eight cores and they're all running at a certain clock speed, let's say 2.4 gigahertz, that the CPU intelligently without you telling it to do it will say, hey, I need more power over here. And I'll clock that one core that that one software application is utilizing up to like four gigahertz. So it gives it more power to that one application. So the i7 would be something to use if you are a power user using multimedia applications, uh, you're a content creator, um, the i7 may be a good option for you to take a step above the i5. So it sounds like if I were a person who was just going to be blogging, like just typing in my blog and updating my blog, and I was going to maybe use a online photo editing service like Canva, I might be able to get away with having like an i5. But if yeah. I'm going to start doing things like video editing, even on a base level on my computer, or if I'm going to be using an installed image editing software, then I probably am going to need to go with something like an i7 because I need that extra horsepower deck. I mean, because I have a really powerful computer that I'm sitting next to right now that you built for me, and it's awesome. But I will still occasionally when editing video, especially just explode everything and it all locks up right. and it all shuts down and I just have to restart the computer and move on. Um, yep. So does that sound right? Am I like hearing the information and spinning it out backwards? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's real. That's a really good analysis of what I've said uh, and, and a good encapsulation. I think let's um, the, the, the one thing I want to really delve into a little bit that I thought about earlier is specifications, right? So what's more important than just saying, well, theoretically, it sounds like this would be best for me, or this would be a lot of software manufacturers, uh, almost every software manufacturer, especially those that have high requirements for processing power, um, they'll have a list of recommended specifications on their website. So, so that's a good thing to start with. A lot of times it will say, if you're running AutoCAD, right? It'll, it'll, it'll say, start here. And with, with this baseline knowledge of what these things mean, you can then take the requirements from the software vendor and say, oh, okay, it, it's saying here I need an i7. Which i7 now, right? Because even within the i7 line, there are different processors that have more or less, more or fewer cores or more or less computing power. So now that we understand about the processor, there's other so things. Yeah, should we move to RAM now? Yeah, I want to know about the other <laughs> things. What are they? <laughs> Let's go through each of them. And I'll, I'll be maybe a little faster with, with each of these, a little more succinct. So RAM uh, is another TLA, Random Access Memory, our mm -hmm. fun little three-letter acronym. And uh, RAM is used when, uh, so you boot up your computer and it loads your operating system, Typical, typically Windows, right? Windows mm -hmm. 10, Windows 11. Uh, the RAM is is the part of the computer, the memory that uses the things that are running on your computer. So when you boot into your, your Windows operating system, it's going to use some percentage of RAM. When those little things in your system tray, the icons typically in the lower right-hand corner by your, your date and time, when those icons start popping up, your antivirus and you know some, some drivers that are associated, some with Windows, some are applications, those, uh, those use a percentage of your RAM as well. Then when you open up a web, a web browser, more RAM, open up another tab, more RAM. So um, a, a fun little trick that we use a lot when people are complaining about power, 
is if you right click and you can follow along with me if you want, if you're on your computer, just right click on the taskbar somewhere right at the bottom of the screen, not on an icon, but on the blank space. Mm -hmm. And you'll see an option usually like third up from the bottom says task manager. Oh yeah. That's my friend. Yeah. So if you go to task manager and you click on the performance tab, okay, you'll see memory. Yep. Uh, you can click on memory on the left. It will tell you the total amount of memory that is installed. Okay. You see that? Yep. And then it'll show the percentage of memory that you're utilizing right now. I'm using 80%. Okay. You're <laughs> maxing it out. Yes, I have 16 I gigs available and I'm using 64% of mine. Um, what, what probably happens, Monica, when you talked earlier about um, your computer just kind of walking up, my guess is that it's reached the, the RAM capacity. It's maxing out RAM and it just doesn't know what to do and it just chokes. And then a reboot frees up all the other resources, right? So it gives you more of that random access memory or your RAM to, to use. But this, this can help people to see how much RAM am I using? And you can actually um, click down into like processes. If you go back to processes, instead of the performance tab, uh -huh. it, can, it shows you not just the percentages, but it'll show you which applications are using how much RAM. Google Chrome, it's blowing me up. It's because I have Chrome. like 400 tabs open. Yep, yep, Chrome What's will that? do that. I'm using Chrome also. It's using like one and a half gigs, 1.5 megabytes, uh, 1.5 thousand megabytes. So 1.5 gigs of, uh, of memory right now on my system as well. And then all the other things. So this is a good way to kind of see what, what's using your RAM and uh, maybe how to more efficiently manage the RAM that you have. You can go uh, here and just start up. You see that tab? Yep, I see startup. And from that tab, you can see the processes that are enabled at boot up. And if you go and right click on those and then disable them, if it's not a critical thing, if it's like Dropbox or iTunes or you know whatever it is that's launching uh, at, at startup, you can disable those in Skype, right? QuickBooks. Yeah. Update manager. Well, and I've been wondering the, the, because Cisco WebEx meetings starts on startup all the time. And I never have a WebEx meeting. I have one client that uses them. And I'm like, why does it keep doing this? WebEx thinks it's self-important and decides that you need to start it up every single time you start your computer. So by going here, as, as described, and disabling that process, it will still be installed on your computer. It will just tell Windows, don't launch this when you start up and start stealing your RAM. Okay. Fun. Oh my gosh. I'm disabling things all over the place. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and what, on your next reboot, you might find that that 80% lowers to 45 or 50 or 60, even with the same applications open. Fun. Well, and I um, just closed my audio editing program and managed to save myself 4%. So now I'm just right. taking 76%. Of my Excellent. RAM. There you and go. those changes, those changes don't take effect until after a reboot. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, for the so enabled stuff and disabled when stuff. When you disable them, that's yeah. correct. Yep. All right. So RAM is important. And then from a purchasing standpoint, I wouldn't recommend a computer these days with less than 16 gigs of RAM, just because it's so inexpensive. You can find a lot of them with eight. But like if if I'm building a computer in the store um, for, for a client the cost difference between the two is only like 40 or $50. And so to double the amount of RAM you have from eight to 16, just to ensure that you have enough moving forward is kind of a no brainer, right? I'm writing that down. That's why you can hear me typing. Like, yeah. no, wouldn't recommend with anything less than 16 gig. 16 would be a good starting point. Yeah. And then again, enthusiasts, right? Media uh, content creators, 
people using applications that really demand a lot of RAM. And that's the thing too, is a little research on what you're using, what software you're using mm -hmm. and, and where it's pulling the resources from. Some applications are CPU intensive, some are RAM intensive, others are GPU intensive. And we'll get to that here just in just a minute, right? There's another PU. Another, <laughs> another TLA, right? <laughs> another three-letter acronym. They're all TLAs. So the, um, the, the, the point that I want to emphasize, I've, I've been thinking this in the back of my mind, but since it's, it's kind of at the forefront right now, there's an adage that I use. Well, let me finish my thought first and then I'll come to this. The thought is do a little research on the, the primary application you're going to use and see where it would benefit uh, from throwing money at the most, right? A little faster CPU, more RAM, or in some instances, an, an adage that I use is, you know, you've heard a, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah. A, a computer is only as fast as its slowest component. Okay. So if you have one piece of all of these, you know, the piece, this is a puzzle, right? You have all these pieces. And if one piece of the puzzle here is uh, lacking, then that's going to slow down your whole computer. All the process will bottleneck there, right? Like the chain, if it's weak, it will break there or slow everything down. So we've talked about CPU. We've talked about RAM. Um, a lot of computers these days will handle 64 gigs, even up to 128 gigs for power users, right? Mm -hmm. I would say 95% of all users would be adequate with 16 to 32. Okay. So my bloggers or my marketers, even if they're making and editing some videos, will probably be okay with 32? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But and if they have the extra money and they want to throw it at it and not play around, then go to 64. It won't be a considerable amount of money more. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's a pretty rare circumstance. It's a very specialized computer that we're building as more than 64 gigs of RAM. We build computers for um, law enforcement agencies that, that are forensics okay. computers. So they process a lot of data. And those are some that we, that we kind of put in that specialized area with 128 to 256 gigs of RAM and, and i9 CPUs and, and really high-end components. So RAM, any questions on RAM? Is that helpful? No, I was just thinking of a good example for your only as strong as its weakest or slowest component. And I thought, well, if you got an i9 and you only had eight gigs of RAM, then it wouldn't even necessarily be the right computer for you because you wouldn't do Correct. what you thought it and, was going to do. And you brought up something interesting that doesn't specifically relate to our conversation, but also relates in a different way um, so to, to what we're talking about here. Sorry, I got distracted for a second. So, um, if what you're doing is, if you're using your computer to edit videos and then upload to YouTube, mm -hmm. you might be really mad at your computer because it's taking 17 hours to upload your videos without recognizing that it has nothing to do with your computer functionality. It's all about the upload on your, you know this because of your relationship with internet service providers historically yeah. and what yeah. your brother does. And so another thing to consider is, is the totality of technology that, Sometimes your computer is not the culprit for why it's not working. It could be slow internet download speeds, upload speeds, um, other things that, that are you know connected peripherals. So just thought I'd throw that in really quickly while I was thinking about it. When my husband and I worked um, at home during COVID, <laughs> he would be like the second that I started uploading stuff because I would work locally so that I didn't completely max out the bandwidth for him all day long. But then I would start uploading stuff eventually because my team would need it. And he would be like, what just happened? And he's like so mad. He's like, this internet is just crap. And I'm like, actually, no, I just like, I'm, I just took all of it. Look at this. 
Upload is maxed had, out, my friend. Sorry about that. <laughs> we had a service, a professional services film, local firm locally, um, who were com complaining about uh, their internet not working at all. We could see that it was working, but they couldn't do anything. They couldn't browse the web. After analyzing logs in their firewall, we were able to pinpoint that it was a phone on their wireless. And every time that this person would come back from lunch and connect to Wi-Fi, it would upload all their photos to cloud storage. Oh my gosh. And they didn't have a lot of upload speed at that time. So it would clog their upload. And so if your upload's clogged, then you can't download or make requests because then you're, you know, the internet can't send those requests back to your computer. So it, was just, it took down their entire internet because somebody was connecting their phone to the Wi-Fi and uploading photos. Yeah, Travis and Stacy. So Stacy is my um, right-hand gal over here, and you know her too. They're like the people that know how to figure out all that stuff about the internet, and they're like, "Oh no, it's these that and that." And one day, Travis was like, "Oh man, Monica, something's just killing your internet over there." I'm, but he didn't tell me this. He just like disabled it, and then it turned out that it was like my own phone. And I was like, but now <laughs> Travis, like you just, <laughs> and it, it was like something that I used every day. And I'm like, but I need, right? I need the internet <laughs> on that thing. But he's like, it just, he was blowing everything up, Monica. Anyway. So, all right. So back to the components we had, we just talked about Ram and yep. now what? Okay. SSD. Is that the next thing? Sure. Yeah. So next is, is um, storage, right? Hard drive. And uh, in, in the past, we similarly, right? So it was this stretch for capacity. You had these big clunky old drives, mechanical drives with spindles and cylinders and then they'd, they'd spin around and it took a really, really long time to locate anything on them. And for the longest time, that was the bottleneck on high performance computers because the CPU and the RAM were ready to go. And, and uh, you know, the computer was searching for information on these old clunky hard drives. So uh, the, the, the SSDs, I think, first came out about um, uh, probably about 10 to 12 years ago. I'm looking at the uh, 06 or they've been around for a while, honestly. So is an um, SSD like uh, the equivalent of a really fancy jump drive? It just say, you yeah. save stuff to it? So an SSD is a solid state drive. Uh -huh. So what happened is, is kind of like with the processors, the big innovation to multi-core the, um, the, the hard drive manufacturers went from these, these disk drives to solid state drives. So the technology changed completely and it is it's solid state memory. So it's a lot like RAM or a flash drive, right? Mm -hmm. Which runs much, much faster than these other drives. The, the problem in, initially was they were, they were cost prohibitive. Per, per gigabyte, they were, you know, the first SSDs that came out cost like $1,000. And they were very, very small. And nobody was going to put them in a computer unless it was a really, really high-end computer for a, a very specific application. So over time, and we're at the point now where it's become the standard. So it is still much more expensive to manufacture them. And so while you can go out and buy a four terabyte hard drive of the older variety um, for like $120, $150, right? Uh, for a good performing one, you can probably find an eight terabyte for around, the, uh, around that same price too. Um, in that price range, you're really only going to find like a one terabyte solid state hard drive. So uh, they're much, much faster. The boot time on computers, anecdotally, right? So I had a laptop 12 years ago that was just, it was like four years old and just slow. It was taking two to three minutes to boot up and applications were taking forever to launch. And going back to that chain analogy, right? The link in the chain. Um, the only thing that I did 
was took an image of my old laptop hard drive and copied it over to a new SSD and then put that SSD in place. And my boot times went from two minutes to 15 seconds. Applications were opening instantly. And then we could tell that was the bottleneck all along was the hard drive. So almost every lap, uh, computer, laptop, the desktop or laptop that you're going to purchase these days will come with a solid state hard drive. I would hope, and this is getting a little bit into the weeds, um, they're, they're older style SSD hard drives that, that um, physically look more like a laptop hard drive, a two and an, a two and a half inch form factor. Mm -hmm. um, those aren't as fast as the, the newer style. They've gone from uh, M dot, uh, so M SATA to M dot two, and then M.2, which fits in a little tiny slot on your motherboard, uh, the latest innovation is called NVMe. So I, I recognize it's all nerdy, but if if the one thing you take from this is it has a solid state drive that oh, is N NVMe. If you see that NVMe, then you know that that's the fastest technology available in SSDs currently. So NVMe. Yeah, a four-letter acronym somehow. Okay. So a really good computer would have a solid state drive that is an NVMe. Now, I just yes. want to make sure that I totally get this. So a solid state drive is different from my RAM. They're not Correct. the same things. They're separate. Right. And the yeah. RAM is the thing that lets all the programs get powered. And, and But then the other thing, that's like what saves all my files in and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, correct. So okay. we talked about RAM as being temporary storage for things that are active. Yeah, the okay. SSD is your hard drive and it's permanent storage. So that's where all the files for your operating system sit, all of your Word files, all of your, the projects you've created all reside on your hard drive. So even when you shut off your computer, they're all still there on your SSD. Yes. They've disappeared from your RAM, but they're all still on your SSD. So sizing that really just depends on what you're doing, right? So mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who work with large files or mm -hmm. lots of files or lots of large files. Um, you can do that with external storage, like a NAS, network attached storage, get mm -hmm. another TLA. Or you can, uh, with a desktop computer, one of the reasons why I think higher performing, uh, I'd say users who require higher performing computers systems uh, may, may lean toward a desktop as opposed to a laptop, is there just more versatility in terms of what you can do with it? And one of those things is have a, a solid state hard drive in it for the, the performance, but then put larger drives in just to hold long-term data for archiving purposes or just to access files when you need to move them around. That's still a good idea. Um, but the one thing, and this isn't really, I think on, on, on the target of what you were wanting to talk about, but I'll, I'll bring it up anyway, because um, we run into this too often. The, the SSD, the hard drive, the storage on your computer, um, is subject to fail. They go bad. They're electronic parts. And so they crash, they fail, they glitch out. And so I, as I preach, 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 if there's anything on there you don't want to lose, make sure you have a good backup solution that then you know replicates that information to an external storage source, like an external hard drive, flash drive, cloud services, or lots of ways to back up your stuff. We won't get into that right now. Just make sure it's backed up because hard drives do fail. Yeah, we recently interviewed Travis about um, Google Workspace, and hey, that makes me think. That we actually save all of our files out there, and then only the things that I'm going to work on locally for a little while live on my computer, and then they hop off because perfect. Right? They're big old files. They don't need to live on my computer. 
So when I look at SSD on a listing for a computer, there's a number sometimes next to it. And it looks a lot like the number that hangs out next to RAM. Is yeah. there a uh, gig or terabyte thingy-mabobber that you would tell people that they need? <laughs> That's a good question. Their, Thanks for asking. I'd, for their I'd blogging to touch on that. or, or, or marketing yeah. computer? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm glad you, you, you asked that. I meant to, to talk about that. So yeah, the size of the SSD, they've become smaller, but you still have to have you know, a certain amount. That really depends. What I did say is it depends on what you're doing with it, but um, kind of like what I did with RAM in terms of baseline, there are a lot of computers available with 256 gigs, gigabytes, GB. Um, that's one quarter of a terabyte, right? If you've seen that, go, uh, that, that terminology, a terabyte versus a gigabyte. And for context, a, a computer with just the operating system installed and some pre-installed software, before you even start loading it up with your own personal stuff, probably going to use 30, 40, 50 gigs of space, leaving you with like only about 120, 150 gigs um, before you get into that scary space where your hard drive is almost full. That's not a lot of room. And there's not a big difference between a 256 uh, cost-wise, right? Between a 256 and a 500, 512. You'll see a 480, a 500, and a 512, depending on how they're manufactured. But that 500 gig range would be my recommendation for starting point for any SSD. Okay, so I'm up to an i5 or an i7 with 16 to 32 gigabytes of RAM and an SSD that has 480 or 512 gigs. Somewhere in that range, yeah, 500 yes. gig. 480, 500, 512 are the three numbers you'll see uh, for the solid state hard drives that are in that range, but about a, a half a terabyte, right? Yeah. I'm and then you can go to a terabyte, you, you can go to a two terabyte, but anything beyond that is cost prohibitive and probably unnecessary. If your storage needs are beyond that, just get yourself a 500 gig SSD or a, or a one terabyte SSD and then get external storage or internal storage using the older technology. It's going to be more cost-effective to do that. Okay. I'm learning. <laughs> I hope everyone else is learning too. This is actually kind of fun. Okay. Are there I, any other yeah, parts there's one of the more computer. thing I wanted to yeah. talk about one more component. So we don't, I don't think we need to delve too deeply into like motherboard or Wi-Fi controllers, things like that. Those are pretty straightforward. Um, there are some differences and somebody working on a real specialized project will want to know some of the differences in terms of features and expandability. Those are things that I can help out with or any anybody who has you know knowledge of hardware. Um, but the GPU, the video card is the last thing that I think is important for people to want to know about, right? GPU. I'm typing that down. GPU. <laughs> Sing it. GPU. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about the TLAs. GPU. Yeah, it's your video card, right? Uh -huh. So years ago, again, there was a transition from what we call a discrete video card, meaning it has its own dedicated RAM, mm -hmm. right? It has its own memory on board for processing video um, data. And uh, then there was a transition just to save cost where, where it wasn't required to put the video card on the motherboard to have an integrated or embedded video card. Um, nowadays, there's a shift five or six years ago where um, the video cards are now on the CPU, oddly. So your processor comes with the video, usually, with the video capabilities built into it, and then the motherboard has, has the output for it. So what does a video card do? It allows you to display things on your screen, right? And so a video card that is uh, on board or embedded or has shared memory, so it uses memory from your system, 
that that motherboard or that video card is going to be great for any two-dimensional business type applications, web, um, uh, for for office applications, email, uh, all, all of those types of things, right? So mm-hmm. having an onboard or a built-in or an embedded video card is adequate for all of those types of users. When you start getting into more specialized applications, video editing, content creation, right? Um, gaming, um, rendering of 3D images, like a lot of CAD programs, SolidWorks, those types of things have video requirements. And that's where you're going to look on the manufacturer's website and say, what do you recommend? There are video cards that cost thousands of dollars. We've installed them in specialized computers um, for those very specific purposes. Usually it's video editing or rendering mm-hmm. um, those, those large types of architectural files. Um, but video card is essential for some of those applications. You should really take direction on which make, which model, and uh, just the processing power that it has. NVIDIA is, is one of the lines. NVIDIA and AMD are kind of the two big lines of video card manufacturers. Um, again, we have a tendency to go with the, the NVIDIA side versus the AMD. Um, NVIDIA has a line called the Quadro line, which is really the workstation space for the high-end forensic stuff, for um, uh, video editing, and for uh, like CAD design, right? But then you have the gaming cards. You've probably heard of like the NVIDIA. There's like the GTX and the RTX and the TI, and there are all these little terms that go along with them. Uh, to, there are too many, too much terminology to dig into to really make sense of it. I think in a in a format like this, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of options for video, a massive price range, a big difference in performance um, in terms of the, the speed of the GPU, right? Kind of like your CPU with clock speeds, and also the uh, the amount of RAM that's installed on on your video card and uh, the price accordingly. So just do research there and figure out what you need and and try to get the best value equation, right? Bang for buck on the video card. When I think of stuff like that, that can make me work faster, I always feel like it's an investment in my company when I choose the right thing, even if it is more expensive, because waiting around, like we have huge files that we make for trade show banners. And so if we don't have the right computer to do it on, um, or like if I'm making my videos and and it's sluggish, it just takes so much time. And that time is, is money. Like the client doesn't want to pay for me to have to restart my computer and they're not going to. So I need a, a tool that will allow me to do my job efficiently. And right. so I just feel like it's an investment in my business to be able to work efficiently. It would be like having a car that doesn't break down or a dump truck that doesn't break down. If what I did was haul dirt, <laughs> if, it, if the dump truck's not hauling, you don't get paid. <laughs> it's the same thing with my computers. <laughs> okay. So exactly. I did have um, like two more questions for you. And then I feel like sure. we can wrap up. Okay. I, you touched on it a little bit, um, laptop versus desktop. And it feels like for some of those bigger um, video editing and content creation tasks, a desktop might be a, a better solution because you can get a more specialized, possibly more powerful beast for you to work on. Um, but what is your, what are your thoughts on desktop versus laptop for the types of things a marketer would do? Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I wrote a piece years ago for a local publication and this was around the time, if you can remember back to commercials, when Apple was running there, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
and they had somebody that was in the Mac world that wrote a, a piece on I'm a Mac, like the benefits of Apple and the Apple platform. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they asked me to write one on the benefits of of Windows or the, the PC platform. Mm-hmm. I think they were maybe a little surprised because I, I didn't really write it from the perspective of PCs are better because of this. Um, I, I, what I, what I focused on, and I think it's the answer to this question is technology is available and and it's varied because there are lots of applications for what you need. So it's really just about finding the right tool for the job Mm -hmm. to me, as I'm looking at this windows laptop, knowing that at home, I have a windows desktop that I have an iPad next to me and an Android phone. Mm -hmm. I'm not really beholden to any one platform of technology. I have different tools for different things. And the same is true when it comes down to whether you need a desktop or a, or a laptop, right? Uh, obviously, the, the big advantage of a laptop is the mobility. Mm-hmm. So if, if you need to be portable, if you need to be able to do the things that you do at the office, but to be able to take it home and have that same level of processing power, then a laptop is something to look at. I'm a lot more comfortable with laptops, just personally speaking, uh, on the basic computing side. When, when you start getting into the high-end applications. There are some really great tools out there and some high-end laptops. The, the problem becomes the, the more um, power that you utilize, the more power uh, of, of your processing, whether it's your CPU, your GPU, all those things, the more heat that it, that it generates. Mm-hmm. And so when you have everything condensed down to the smaller space without a lot of ventilation, what we see is very expensive components that are all soldered together and not interchangeable, mm-hmm. burning out more quickly, failing. Um, so you spend $3,000 on this really awesome laptop, but two and a half years into it, your video card goes out. It's like $1,200 to replace the entire motherboard because it has that very expensive video card on it too. Um, I love desktops for the high-end computing. There's more ventilation. Uh, the ability to, to replace an individual component, if, if your expensive video card does go out, you still can use the rest of your computer and just replace the video card. Mm-hmm. Uh, more expandability. Desktops, as a, as a general rule, will accept more RAM, the higher end of capacity of RAM, right? How much it will take. Typically more on a desktop than on a laptop, even on a higher end laptop. Um, and so those are the reasons why for higher end computing, I prefer a desktop. Recognizing that in some circumstances, somebody just needs to be able to take it from place to place and they can't lug around a big tower. And that's why there's a market for high-end laptops. And we sell those. It's just, uh, what are you using the tool for? Awesome. Um, okay. Anything else that you feel like people need to know before they, I mean, you've given them so much advice. I feel like I understand now more than I ever have. Yeah, <laughs> that was the goal, to- right? to go out and buy a computer for myself to do marketing. I mean, like I I was telling Jamie before we got started, the last time I went out and bought a laptop, I sent my dad an email and I said, I need a laptop to do these three things. Give me three laptops to pick from. I'm going to buy one of them. And he was like, okay, here's the one girlfriend. And I said, okay, awesome. And that's how I bought my computers. But now I'm way smarter, way smarter. Okay. So that being said, is there anything else that you think people need to know um, as we wrap up? Uh, I mean, nothing that jumps out. One question that I get quite a bit is Windows 10 or Windows 11. I think it's more relevant in a, in a business environment. We haven't seen a lot of products. So Windows 11 seems to be a good platform. Uh, anyone who's followed Microsoft for the last 30 years 
knows that every every time there's a really good and reliable operating system, there seems to be a, a real bomb in between, right? Like Windows Millennium or, you know, there, there are different, uh, a Windows 8 wasn't very good or very popular either, right? Didn't last very long. Uh, but Windows 11 seems to be a good and, and reliable operating system. We haven't run into a lot of compatibility issues. So as a general rule, if you're saying, should I go with one or the other? 11's the more recent version. It seems to have worked out any problems. We're actually from the get-go, there weren't significant issues with Windows 11. So I can endorse Windows 11. Um, the only exception to that is if, you, if you're in a business environment with specific applications that may not yet be certified for Windows 11, it may be safer to stay with Windows 10, but your IT director or your IT consultants will probably make that recommendation. Okay, so last but not least, will you let people know how they can get in contact with you if potentially they need your services or maybe they just want to learn more about some of your managed services instead of just buying a computer for you? Of course, yeah. Uh, we're on the web at personalized-computers.com. My email address is jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at personalized-computers.com. You can find us on Google. It'll bring you right to our address, which is uh, on the south side of I-70 on I-70 Drive Southeast. We're in the Woodridge Business Center down in the back. Uh, we're happy to have you call or stop by or uh, email me with any questions you might have. Thank you. Okay. And thank you to everybody else out there who've listened with me and learned all of these amazing things about computers. Thank you so much, Jamie, for being with us. And if you, like me, enjoyed this episode, or if you learned a thing or two, please give us a review wherever you're listening. Because when you review our podcast, it helps us meet more people just like you who are on a journey and trying to solve their problems through technology. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, go forth and market with purpose. Thanks again for listening to Marketing with Purpose. Head over to maycreate.com, M-A-Y-E-C-R-E-A-T-E.com. Yeah, you heard me right, M-A-Y-E, create.com. For podcast notes and more resources to grow your business. Don't let your marketing suck. Get your pride on. Market with Purpose.